Before we get started this morning, I just want to take the opportunity uh, right here in London, Somerset, Williamsburg, Bell County, uh, wherever you find yourself. Uh, every single week we come into this place, right? And there is a group of people that really set up the day for us, and that's those people that play and sing right here. Um, they are phenomenally gifted and talented, but they're even better people. Can we give them a hand? Um, I was uh, sitting over there uh, next to Jack and uh, just thinking, how did I get with, with this bunch? I mean, they're so good at what they do and I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but that's okay. Um, for some of you, you know this about me. Um, I lived originally, I'm from Alabama, and I spent um, a few years uh, in Tuscaloosa at the University of Alabama. I managed to squeeze a four-year degree into five years. Um, you're welcome. I took a little victory lap, if you will. Um, but that's okay. But if you're ever going through Tuscaloosa, there's one reason you're there. And it's the only reason. Football. That's it. There ain't nothing else there. Okay. I can tell you that. All right. But uh, with football, there comes tailgating, right? So you're either there for football or tailgating for football. So maybe two things. Uh, and there's always food involved. And in Tuscaloosa, there's some restaurants that really, oh, I mean, they're phenomenal places. You got Chuck's Fish right downtown. And all of these right here are downtown. You got, you got Chuck's Fish. You got De Palma's. It's a little Italian restaurant. You got, you got um, Mellow Mushroom, which we got one of those, which it's okay. You know, it's not that great. You've got City Cafe, which if you like meat and three veggies, right, that's the place to go. I mean, you get a, you get a plate like this big and it's full. And if you're lucky, you see football team and they're sitting in these little benches and they're, they're hanging out, half of them, because them some big boys. Anyway, uh, you got Cypress Inn, you got Nicks in the Sticks, and there's this one place that's connected to football, and they always talk about it if you watch ESPN. It's called Dreamland Barbecue. Anybody ever heard of it? Anybody? Anybody? Anyway, it's okay. It's a good place. They got good ribs, but that's not the place you need to go to. Unless you live there, unless you know about it, there's a little spot you should go. Now, it's changed since I was there. It's been I lived there for 15 years. I graduated in 2006, so it's changed a little bit, okay? And it's Woodrow's Barbecue. Now, today, it's Archibald and Woodrow's, because Archibald and Mr. Woodrow, they got together and they, they started their own barbecue joint. When I was in school, it was just Woodrow's. Archibald, he had his barbecue restaurant. I never ate there. Couldn't tell you how good it was, but I'm sure it was good. And you had Mr. Woodrow, and he had his barbecue shack, okay? And that's literally what it was. Today, it's updated, but when I was in school, Woodrow's was like 800 square feet, maybe. When you walk in, there's a register and four, maybe five tables, it's tiny. Most of the time when you went to get food, you didn't stay to eat, you just took it because there wasn't any room to sit because it was full. There was no room. Um, and, and for me, it was one of the places that I just loved to go. But if you didn't know it was there, you'd miss it. Because there was no big flashy sign like this. It was just a white building that said Woodrow's. And if you didn't know it was there, you'd drive right by it. But it was this little hole in the wall of a place. And you could get half a chicken, baked beans, two pieces of white bread, barbecue sauce for $6. And if you really wanted to splurge, you could get a whole chicken for $9. Okay? It was great. I loved it. Any day after golf, any day coming back from uh, the rec center from playing basketball, and sometimes when I went to class coming back from there, I'd stop by and I'd get some. And it was phenomenal. It was the best thing. It like, like, they cooked it out in a hut in the back, and they used that green garden hose that you drank of, out of as a kid. Now, kids, y'all, these days, you, you don't know the, just the taste of water out of a green garden hose, but... 
in heaven. We'll get to taste it again. But anyway, um, <laughs> what I'm getting at is in life, oftentimes we are so busy and moving so fast and so distracted that we miss the small things. And Woodrow's, Woodrow's was one of those small things. The people there, they knew about it, but if you didn't get off the beaten path, you'd never find it. Um, and in life, the same thing happens for us. We can get distracted by the grand. We can get distracted by the big and miss the small things and miss the little things of life that really bring us joy. We like the big and the shiny. And sometimes we miss the small stories. And today, uh, we're gonna tell you a story that's a small story. That if you're reading through the scriptures, there's a possibility you might drive right by it and not even see it. Or read it and think, that was weird. That was kind of out of place. That came out of nowhere. But today's story, as we talk about the life of David, his, his life was full of grand stories, right? You get the introduction, right? He's anointed and pronounced the future king of Israel. It's like an episode of The Bachelorette. You're ugly. You smell funny. This guy, yeah, right? Okay. Um, so David gets picked out of all of his brothers to be the guy, the next guy. You got the story of Goliath. You know, David becomes the hero and saves Israel. You've got the stories of David running for his life from Saul because Saul's trying to kill him because he knows he's the next man up. You've got the stories of David dancing in his underwear. It's there, go read it, yeah. You've got the tragedy of Bathsheba and Uriah. You've got family drama, you've got everything you need. You've got all these great grand stories and at the heart of it, we get to see at his worst, David, we get to see a little piece of what we're capable of. And at his best, we get to see a little bit of what we're capable of, but more importantly, we get to see what God is capable of. And we get to see the heart and character of God through David. Now, our story today, it can get lost in that shuffle. Um, it's a story that kind of gets swallowed up by the shuffle of history. Um, and it's a story for all of us. Whether you find yourself today as a follower of Jesus or you showed up today and you're like, I'm giving church a try one more time. It doesn't matter where it finds you, it's for all of us. And in our story, we find David at the peak of his reign because he is now not just David, he is King David. And we talked a little bit about that last week with Pastor Will, that he's waited and bided his time in the background, knowing that he would one day become king. He, he's ran for his life, he served his king, he's fought for his country. He's seen victory after victory after victory. And now he's got some space to think as king. Things have kind of settled down and he's got some time in the kingdom and time to reflect and think back on all he's been through in the season, because that's how it can be. We get so busy that we don't take time to reflect. And he remembers his friend, Jonathan. And he remembers a promise that he made to his friend, Jonathan. And the story starts like this. One day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, all throughout today, you're gonna see yellow. Every single time we see it, it's the same word in Hebrew. But in English, it's a different word. I'll explain more later. So hang on to that thought. So I need to show somebody kindness in Jonathan's family. And David here, he's sitting here reflecting. He's thinking about his friend Jonathan, all the good times they had and all they'd been through and all the times that Jonathan had gotten his back while his father was trying to kill him. And we talked about that friendship in week five. 
and he remembers the promise that he made to Jonathan. And this is Jonathan speaking to David. He says, may the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love. Even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan and David made a solemn pact with David. I'm going to move this back because I keep running into it. But so for Jonathan and David, they made an agreement. It's called a covenant in, in the scriptures. And it, it's, it's greater than a promise. It's greater than a pinky promise. Okay. Pinky promise is pretty serious. All right. This is a big deal. And you've got this story of Saul searching and looking for David to kill him and Jonathan stepping in and Jonathan making this covenant with David. And then we see a little later on that David makes another covenant with another guy. And this time it's Saul, the man that's trying to kill him, the man that's trying to hunt him down. And we find David hiding in a cave. And Saul, because he's been out searching, trying to kill, he needs a little restroom break. So he finds a cave. Guess what? It's the same cave David's in. His men speak to David and say, hey, the king's right there. We, we can end this now. We can kill him. We can move on our lives. You can take, for, take your rightful place on the throne. But David wouldn't do it because David is a man of character. David knew that God had put Saul in place and it wasn't his responsibility to take him out of that place. And instead, David clips off an edge of his robe and he felt bad about that, which to me is like, it's just clothes, bro. He's a king. He's got 12 of them at home probably, all right? But he felt bad about it. And Saul leaves the cave and he comes out. David comes out of the cave and he's like, yo, Saul, hey, I was close enough to kill you, but here's proof that I was and I didn't. And Saul, he came to this realization that David's a better dude than I am. He's got more character than I do. That he's gonna be a great king. And knowing that David could have killed him, here's what Saul said to David. May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. Saul knew that David was better than him. He knew that David was going to become king one day and rule all of Israel, and it was gonna thrive under his leadership. And Saul says, when it does, David, swear to me, swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. So he's made two promises, one to a friend, one to his enemy. And he sits and reflects and he remembers these promises. And he finds himself at his kingdom and he calls for a servant, a servant that used to be Saul's servant. And he says, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Now, this is the part of the story where we meet our guy. The guy that, the guy that David is gonna show kindness to. And it may be the moment, the moment where I become the closest to cursing on stage or speaking in tongues on stage because it's a doozy. Are we ready? For my edification and my encouragement, we are all gonna participate together in saying this name. A communal reading of the screen, ready? Now, you got to say it once, I gotta say it like a hundred times, okay? 
And when I asked Pastor Trevor what he wanted to talk to and he sent this, I spent the rest of my vacation trying to pronounce it. So here we go. Don't do that to me. Mephibosheth. I don't care if you clap, I'm clapping, I'm proud of it, okay? First time I hear it, I'm like, watch your mouth, okay? What did you just say, right? We couldn't have gone with Frank or Tim or Alexander or, or Willie. We couldn't have done any of those. Billy Bob, nothing. Mephibosheth. Now, from Mephibosheth, his background is complicated. Here's what we know. He is the son of Jonathan, who would be the rightful heir to the kingdom. He was the prince, Jonathan would have been. He is the grandson of Saul. He is in a royal lineage. And his name means, how about this? If you're thinking about using it for your kid, seething dishonor. Or another translation is shameful breath or shameful life. Not, not something you're gonna name your next child. Dana, we don't recommend you naming the new baby that. Um, anyway, but Jonathan and Saul, they're both dead. They find themselves dead. And David is the new king. And any time this happens, the people that belong to the king, the family, they flee because here's what happens. In that culture, the king would kill off any family member of the previous kingdom. That was his responsibility because he didn't, wanna, he, didn't wanna, he didn't want that to get in the way of them coming back up and taking his kingdom, right? And as a five-year-old, Mephibosheth found himself, son of Jonathan, fleeing from the kingdom. And in the process, his nurse, as a five-year-old, dropped him. And it seems that it broke either his legs or his ankles. And in that time, they didn't have any way to set it or fix it. They were running for their life. And as a result of it, he spent the rest of his life crippled. So here we have a man who is dropped and crippled. He's broken by a fall. And he flees to a place called Lodabar, which means no pasture, barren, no nothing. A place so far out there ain't even got a dollar general, all right? He's broken and he's isolated. He's separated from the kingdom. So David, he sent for him. And Mephibosheth, can you imagine showing up, knowing that, knowing that the only interpretation I have at this moment is the king is seeking me out to get rid of me, to kill me. Because somebody knocks at the door and said, hey, the king's looking for you. <laughs> He's got no knowledge of the covenant that Jonathan and David had made. He's got no knowledge of the covenant that him and David and Saul had made. All he knows is he has just received an invitation to his own demise. And it says when he came, to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect because that's what you do in the presence of a king that has the power to end you. Because Mephibosheth, he's from the wrong family. He's from Saul's family. He's an enemy to the king. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. He calls him by his name that this king, he would recognize him as a person. He had been hiding, he had been isolated, he had been separated from the king, but the king, he does not treat him as an exile. He's not some nameless exile in front of him. He, he's broken, he's crippled, but he's not categorized as a victim. He has a name and the king knows it. And in Mephibosheth's condition, 
He has nothing to offer this king. Now this is offensive to us because we know better. We live in a culture that's adapted and understood that just because you're handicapped doesn't mean you're of no worth or value. But in this kingdom, it would be a burden. They are a liability. They serve no purpose. They can't fight. They can't work. And you have to have servants that take care of them. If you read the whole story, David gives him servants, but we're not going to talk about that part today. But he is a liability to the kingdom. And Mephibosheth here, he offers the only thing he can offer, and it's surrender. And Mephibosheth, he replies, I'm your servant. You can do with me whatever you want, king. And here's David's reply. Do not be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Now here, Mephibosheth had to feel the weight of the world taken off his shoulders because he realizes something. I'm not going to die today. I get to live. I get to continue breathing and experiencing life. That the lineage of Saul and David, it will live on. Because Mephibosheth, he showed up expecting death, but instead he found life. And that, my friends, is called mercy. Mercy, it withholds what you deserve. For Mephibosheth, he deserved death, but the king gave him life. And here, at this point in the story, David has fulfilled his promise. He doesn't have to do anything else. He can send him on his way, let him go, and go back to leading the people. He could do that. He's fulfilled the promise that he had made to his friends. When he expected death, he found life. But David's not done. He says, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. Now this isn't your average king. Your average king wouldn't have done the first thing. He wouldn't have let him live. He would have just killed him. But David here not only shows him mercy, he shows him something else. David goes above and beyond what's expected. He extends extravagant generosity to Mephibosheth. He's got property, which means income and power. It's position. And he's got servants, which means he's got position and influence. And what David here has done, he's shown grace. Mercy and grace. And grace is simply, grace extends to you what you don't deserve. And David has done both of those things. And in this moment, we find Mephibosheth, he's overwhelmed because he bows respectfully to the king. And he exclaims, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Now, that's tough to think of yourself like that. He showed up expecting the worst and got something far better. Now, I've told you before, this word has shown up time and time and time again in all of these stories. And it's, the, it's one word in, in the Hebrew, and it's this, chesed. Now, if you want to say it correctly, you kind of got a hockey loogie, so chesed. So, y'all want to do that together? Okay, we won't. All right, corporate hockey. Um, there's no word in the English for this. There's no word that is adequate to define and express what this word means. 
So we see all kinds of translations used. We, we see loyalty, we see joint obligation, we see faithfulness, we see goodness, we see graciousness, we see godly action, we see kindness, we see unfailing love. Here's a big one, and this is like a whole sentence in a, of itself. On whom I can rely. One word, you get all that out of it. It's loyal love, steadfast love. Uh, Eugene Patterson, he defines it this way. Kessid is love without regard to shifting circumstances, hormones, emotional states, and personal convenience. This is the kind of love with which God so loved the world. And the only mental image, the only thing that I can think of that comes close to this in my experience in this life are my kids. As a father, you get to experience life in a different way because they come into this world and they offer you nothing. They cry, they eat, they sleep, and that's about it, and fill up diapers, and the rest is on you. In the early stages, they are a burden. Now, mamas, I know that's hard to hear, but it's true because they require so much of you. And even as they get older, they require so much of you. I've got 11, nine, and seven-year-old. They require a lot. And they offer me nothing most days, but for some reason, I love them without condition. And as their father, I want to communicate that message to them that no matter what you do, I'm gonna love you. And there's a place for you right here in my home. And the story begins to wrap up. And it wraps up kind of like this. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own son. Family. He was given property, which is power. He was given position, which is influence. And he was adopted into the king's family. He became a son of the king. And it says Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. If it's not sounded familiar, let me help us. Mephibosheth, this is what happened to him. There was a king that came from a place of power. He sought out a broken man that had fallen. In his mercy and in his grace, the king invited him to sit at his table as family. If you're careful, or if you're not careful, we get in a hurry and we breeze by this story. But in 13 small verses, we see the entirety of all the scriptures. A king that seeks you in your brokenness. A king that invites you to his table. A king that welcomes you into his family. And I think there's a handful of things we can take out of today's talk. From the life of Mephibosheth, there it was. From the life of David. And here's the first one. We are invited to sit at the king's table where our brokenness is covered. From Mephibosheth, 
he would be helped into that room. He would sit at a seat and he would pull himself up to the king's table. And when people looked at that table, they didn't see a crippled man. They didn't see a broken man. (laughs) They saw a son of the king. He was broken. He was isolated. He was sought by a king. And if that's you today, let me reassure you, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, the king has invited you to sit at his table. And there is a king who chases after you, not to pay you back, but to win you back. And in your surrender to him, you will find that he is generous and he is gracious. And it should show us this, the king's mercy, it withholds what we deserve and his grace extends to us what we don't deserve. In his mercy, he withholds death because that's what our sin deserves. Nothing more, nothing less, just death. But in his grace, he extends to us abundant life. And it's a reminder for me, and hopefully it's a reminder for you, for all of us that follow Jesus. What I've been given has nothing to do with what I've done, but everything to do with what another has done for me. Jonathan made a promise with David that would impact Mephibosheth, and he didn't even know about it. Saul would make a promise to David that would impact Mephibosheth. And he didn't even know about it. He did nothing, he offered nothing, but because of the heart of the king, he was saved. Promise made, promise kept. Sound like anybody we know. I thought long and hard about how, um, how to end our time together today. Um, for some reason over the last week this this scripture has been on my heart and mind Um, this one obviously but another one another one that David would pin himself that I think wraps up and encapsulates this story perfectly and I just want to take the last few moments of our time together and I want to read it over us and I want you to hear the words of David because here's what I think Oftentimes in the scriptures, we forget that David was a man, that he himself was broken and he needed grace and mercy. And sometimes for those of us that follow Jesus, we forget where we came from. We forget our desperate need. And sometimes as those that aren't near to God, don't know God, we think that God's out to get us or he's after us or he can't possibly love someone broken like me. But I think these words from David give us encouragement for both sides. Psalm 103 says this, let all that I am praise the Lord. Because after hearing this story, that's all I can do. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. 
may I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and mercy, merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse me nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and we die. The wind blows and we are gone. As though we had never been here at all. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children, to those who are faithful to his covenant and those who obey his commandments. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there, he rules over everything. Praise the Lord. You mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commandments. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord. Everything he has created, everything in all of his kingdom, but all that I am, praise the Lord. Father, today, if we're reminded of anything, anything, remind us of your grace and your mercy that you've shown to us. That in this story, we we find ourselves, we find ourselves broken and isolated, separated from a good king. And you call us and invite us to your table as children. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room, they find themselves hiding today, that they would step out of the darkness. They would come to the king and they would surrender to him because he is good and he is gracious and he is loving. And in these next moments, Father, I just pray that we would take a moment to give all of our praise and all of our worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.